So we've been going through Acts. We're in chapter 28. Paul, at this point, had finished uh, much of his ministry. He still has a little bit more left. He had started out going into Jerusalem. Then he went north and he went through uh, Syria and Turkey and he did a missionary journey all through Turkey. He went into Greece and he came back and he looped around and he did it again and he came back to Jerusalem and they beat him. He was arrested. He was then in Caesarea for two years waiting for trial and then he uh, called out to have his trial by Caesar, not by the Jews in Jerusalem. And so he now was going to go to Rome and he was going to have his trial by Caesar. On the way there, it was an eventful trip and he ended up on a ship that was uh, in a shipwreck. Another one because he'd been in them before. And so here he's on a ship that ends up being shipwrecked. He, first, he had to endure weeks of being in storms and just beating on the ship. They didn't know where they were. when They were completely covered in clouds for two weeks. And that means they didn't have a sun or stars to guide the ship by. And they couldn't do it anyway because the seas were so wild and tragic that there was no way to steer the ship. So he ended up on this ship crashing uh, into an island. And they all made it safely. Now Paul had already told them, we're going to make it safely. Don't worry. As long as we stay together, we're going to get off this ship. The ship is going to be lost. The cargo is going to be lost. But we will make it to shore safely. And that happened, just like he said. Can you imagine sailing with 275 guys? Two of them were believers. That was Luke and uh, Aristarchus that was with him. And they were the only believers. The rest of them were soldiers or crew members or prisoners. And so here they make it just like he said they were going to. They get to this shore. They get to the land. And, uh, you know, some were swam because they were able to swim. But others, uh, they, it says they hung on to boards. And this is where surfing became popular. And, and so they hung on to boards and they made it to land. And now they were all on land, 276 of them. And uh, that's where we pick up uh, today. Today's message is titled, From Shipwreck to Resort, <laughs> as we continue in chapter 28, verse 1, where we read, now, when they had escaped, that's a good way to put it, they escaped. They escaped what? Death. Because if they stayed on the ship, they were going to die. And they escaped, and they found out that the island was called Malta, and the natives showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. And so here 
these 276 people land on this island. They find out it's called Malta. What does Malta mean? Refuge. That kind of fitting, right? And so here they are on Malta, and the natives showed unusual kindness. It wasn't just the kind of kindness where it was like, oh, here, you know, you're safe. Let's get you under some trees or something like that. They went out of their way to come out and build a fire uh, so that they can warm themselves. Number 276, you're not building a little fire. You're building a big fire out there to warm everyone. Remember, it's still overcast. What time of day was it? Probably about 9 o'clock in the morning, because remember, it was daybreak when they started running the ship into shore. They were going to try to run the ship all the way up to the beach as close as they could. Unfortunately, they got caught where the two seas met, and it started breaking up out there. And it was daybreak at that time. So this is probably somewhere around 8 or 9 in the morning. But it's still overcast. It's cold. It's raining. And they're coming in, uh, you know, from cold water. They're probably shivering and coming into the beach. They didn't have their change of clothes that was lost out there on the ship. And so here they are on this beach. Now... This wasn't a beach couple that had a little cabana that were hanging out that came out and said, oh, hey, this is nice. It was all of the people that were in the area that came out to the beach to help them. All of the natives from that area came out uh, to somehow provide comfort for them. It was unusual kindness that they showed toward them. Can you imagine these people on the beach may have been there from early morning watching this ship coming in and saying, wow, they're coming in awful fast. I hope they realize that's a place where two, oh, they're stuck. Oh, look, the waves are breaking the ship up. There's nothing left of it now. And so they were probably watching all of this as it took place. And so as they came to the shore, they were helping them and they were blessing them and comforting them. But when Paul had gathered, I'm just going to leave it there. When Paul, no, that's going to bother someone, you know, that's because that's there are people that are my wife. Um, she'll say, I can't believe you left that there. Anyway, but <laughs> when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Uh, so Paul can't get a break. <laughs> you know, he, he was in prison for two years. He had his own place and everything, but in in in. in you know, custody for two years in Caesarea. He's on this ship that has been out in the seas, just, you know, just having a terrible time out there. Now it's shipwrecked. Now he comes in and, oh, we made it to land. I'm safe. No such thing. The first thing I noticed about this is Paul. He is collecting the wood to put on the fire. You see, Paul was a servant. He 
did things that others probably wouldn't have done. And he went out there and collected the wood and put it on the fire. And as he's putting it on the fire, there was a viper that was in the stack of wood that he was putting on it, and it bit him. It clung to his hand. Now, having a viper bite you um, probably is an indication that there's something bad going to happen. Uh, you know, even if it's a non-poisonous um, snake, they, they still cause some irritation. And so when the natives saw the creature hanging on his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. And so here they knew, they saw the viper, they knew that, oh, that's that kind of snake. That thing just, you know, so when people see rattlesnakes and stuff like that, they know, don't go near it. You know, it, it's poisonous, you're, you're going to die. You know, so don't go near that. And, uh, you know, now they see this thing hanging from him saying, oh, you know, that's it. He's going to die. You know, they're, they're waiting for to see how. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for him a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Wow. You go from being a murderer to a god. You know, all you have to do is attach a snake to your hand, and, and now you're a, a god. See, there is scripture that says, hey, if a snake bites you, even a poisonous, venomous snake bites you, you're not going to die from it, you know, and, and that you live. Well, th some churches actually practice that. They'll handle snakes and so on and so forth. That's not what, that's not what it's talking about. It's not like go and tempt uh, you know, tempt me by going and handling snakes. That's not what it's about. It's about the fact, just like Paul, accidentally, if a snake bites you, it's not going to harm you. And that's, and Paul was living evidence of that. He just went about his business. He shook it off into the fire and, and then they had something to eat at the same time. So that was kind of nice. And they thought that he was going to die. Instead, now they think he's a god. Such is the problem of miracles. When a prophet, when a messenger of God does a miracle, sometimes people attribute the miracles to whoever the prophet is, whoever the teacher is, whoever the layman is. You see, you guys have the same gift of healing that we read about in the Bible. I know that's hard to believe. Sometimes we don't believe it ourselves. When we pray for someone for healing, I don't like to be the only one to be laying hands on that person to pray. It says, when someone's sick, you bring the elders of the church, anoint them with oil and pray for them for their healing, but you bring others around. So it isn't something that is done by one person. Oh, that person has the gift of healing. No, it isn't. You know who has the gift of healing? The person that's healed. They receive the gift of healing. 
And it isn't because of anything we do. It's because of what God does. So we are just the instrument God uses to lift a person up in prayer so that healing may take place. And so when we see that, sometimes people are like, oh, he can heal. He has that gift. Um, you know, pastors need to be careful of that. Everyone needs to be careful of that, taking God's glory for themselves as if they had some power uh, over someone's healing. It's God that does the work. It's God that heals. And it's the same Holy Spirit that each of us has. So when we all get together and pray, it's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work, not us. So here, Paul is now um, elevated to God-like status. In that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So here is like the governor of the island. He's the leading citizen, and he had this big estate, and he brought them in. And, uh, and care now remember, there's 276 of them, so probably got a big place, and he brought them in, cared for them for three days, and it happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. And Paul went into him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him and healed him. And so here's another one of those, oh, he can be bit by vipers, now he's healing people. This man is amazing. And so they now get the word out. And so when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. <clears throat> well, different word healed. Okay, there were, it's used twice. It's used in a previous verse when Paul healed, and then all of the people came in and they were healed. The term healed in that verse, in the second verse, was treated, not exactly healed, that their uh, infirmity went away completely. So that's an unusual account. Oh, they were treated. Well, who was with Paul? Dr. Luke. He was a physician. And so when you have all these people on the island coming to get healing because of different diseases and sicknesses and so on and so forth. Good to have a doctor around. And so Luke then was able to administer any kind of first aid or care to these that came. I'm sure that there was plenty of prayer going around too. You know, Aristarchus was with them, so he was also, we didn't hear a lot about what he's doing, but he's with them, and so he's probably ministering at the same time and praying for them, and, and uh, we'll see how God is going to heal. God uses Luke, and sometimes God uses doctors in our lives uh, to perform healings on people that are ill. You know, and we trust God. Because he knows how to heal. If you have any kind of ailment, if you have any kind of sickness, if you have any kind of disease, God can just say, 
It's gone. But sometimes God allows it to stay for his glory. Don't know why. We don't understand a lot of these things. Paul said that he had something, a thorn in the side. He had an ailment of some sort, a problem of some kind. Many people like to speculate what that problem is. Me personally, I think it was his eyesight. So Galatians chapter 6 verse 11, Paul writes the book of Galatians and he writes at the very end, see with what large letters I wrote this with, I signed this with. And so, uh, you know, that's a possibility. He wrote it with large letters because he couldn't see. And remember, he was blind on the road to Damascus. He was blinded for three days, and maybe that was that he wasn't fully healed from that. I don't know, and Paul didn't really expound on it. He didn't care enough. He prayed for it three times. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And now he lives with whatever it is, and he didn't talk about it again. In our lives, we have trials. We have things that we go through. We have physical issues or whatever the case may be. And if God chooses not to fully heal us, uh, then that doesn't mean we're out of the game. That doesn't mean we're put aside, oh, now we can't be used by God because of this physical issue that I have. I know of a pastor who was a construction worker who fell on his head and he is now a quadriplegic. He has um, a, a, one of those screens that he's able to write with and communicate with. He has a little bit of motion now with his hand, and he's able to move his arm a little bit. He's teaching again. Um, just he, He's putting together messages, and he's teaching. I, I'm a Facebook friend of his, and we write to each other at times. It's like I don't know any difference. You know, and it's how God chooses to use him. And he is continuing to do the work that God sets before him. Every one of us, no matter what our situation is, can be, we can choose to be used by God or we can choose to sit down and do nothing. And it's up to us. We choose. That's the choice we get to make. Paul was not going to stop doing what he was called to do, and so he was still there, and now he's with Luke and uh, with his other friend. And after uh, three, oh no, uh, back in verse 10, I apologize, uh, they also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as was necessary. So these people, these Maltese, were just so kind, so generous, so friendly, and we don't know, it, we're not told how many got saved. We're not told that they all started believing and following Jesus. We, we're not told that. We know that they saw the evidence of the Lord in the healing that they received and, and just in the way that, the, that Paul uh, endured his trials, they could see it. Here's a man that was just shipwrecked, then he was bitten by a viper, and now he's going around healing other people. He didn't even care for his own 
person. He was caring about everyone else. And I'm sure Paul did a lot of preaching while he was there too. Can you imagine how many of the guys that were on the ship, remember there, there were prisoners, there were soldiers, there were the crew members. How many of them heard Paul from the very beginning saying, hey, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't get underway from Fair Havens. We, we should just stay here. You know, and they didn't listen, and they got in all this trouble, ended up shipwrecked. How many of them now became believers because everything Paul said that was going to happen, happened? The good and the bad. You're all going to live. You're going to make it to the beach. So, you know, just keep trusting in the Lord. And everything that he said that was going to happen actually took place. And so here, the Maltese, I have a friend who's Maltese. He's from Malta, his whole family and everything. And uh, he's a devout Catholic. He's more Catholic than Catholics are um, in that uh, he has a relationship with Jesus. He gets up every day and he reads his word and he prays and he goes to Bible study and he's just loves the Lord, you know, and, and uh, I, I grew up with, he was my roommate in, in high school, at the end of high school and, and after. So um, just, and it's really neat to see how God uses people in, in different situations. Um, and he, he's just a, a, a really, and his whole personality is like one of these multi, he'll, he'll give you the shirt off his back. He's, he's just that kind of guy. So uh, it says that they provided everything necessary, verse 11, and after three months, we sailed in an Alexandrian ship whose figurehead was the twin brothers, which had wintered at the island. And landing in Syracuse, we stayed three days. And from there, we circled round and reached Regium. And after one day, the south wind blew, and the next day, we came to Petoli where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days and so went toward Rome. So as they're leaving Malta, they're 500 miles from Rome when they leave Malta. And so they start heading north, heading up the coast. That's uh, the direction they had to go. And they stop at a couple of ports and they had some off wind and then they got favorable winds and they made it up to Petoli and that's the, the end of their, um, their cruise. Uh, they're getting off now and they're going to go overland the rest of the way up to Rome. And they found believers in Petoli. Where did they come from? Who was ministering there? Well, we don't know because we're not told. But it's very possible that some of these that are there were some that were in Turkey or in Greece that heard the teaching of Paul or some of the other um, teachers that were out there. Now, we have many of them that we know of that were out there teaching in that area. Maybe they were in Jerusalem for uh, one of the festivals, the feasts. And they were there, and they heard from the apostles that were in... We don't know. What we know is that they're in Petoli. And 
uh, they meet with Paul. So every time Paul hit a port, the first thing he did was look for Christians. He looked for believers. And so uh, they found them. They hung out with them for seven days. Can you imagine? Now, it's not the whole 276 now that are traveling with them. It's just the, the guards and the prisoners that are traveling now uh, with Paul. Probably Julius, the, the centurion, was with them. And so can you imagine seeing uh, the interaction between believers? You see, here we get a lot of believers that come in here from other places that haven't been here before. And they come in and this, you know, first time here or they're just in for a couple of weeks and, you know, they're coming here to visit. Uh, people that know Calvary Chapel look for a Calvary Chapel. And, and so they find us and they come and spend some time with us. Family. You, you just know that we're family. doesn't matter which church you come from, but we're believers in the Lord. And we're children of the living God. So we're family. And this is how I perceive the church is supposed to be. People will know the love that we have for one another. Uh, that, that's how they know we're Christians. Because they see the love and they say, that's what Christians look like. They're people that love each other. And so... Paul, everywhere he went, he would find brethren, and they would welcome them in, they would hang out together, they would eat meals together. That was family. And, um, you know, these, the church sometimes is more family than family. I have family, you know, over, all over the valley, and... Um, I would have to say I'm much closer with this family than I am with my own family. There's nothing wrong with my family because they may be watching. So there's nothing wrong with my family, and they're really wonderful people, but um, this family is the one that I live with week in and week out, you know, and so this is my, my true family. So they're there in Patoli, and when we found brethren, we were invited to stay with them seven days, and so we went toward Rome. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, so from there means from Rome, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Appi Forman, uh, Forum and three inns. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. So here are a group of believers that were in Rome that heard that Paul was coming. And when they heard, remember they were in um, this other place. Uh, it was called, uh, yeah, that other place, uh, Putoli. I, I should know this, I'm Italian. Uh, they were in Putoli and, for seven days. And so word probably got up to Rome, hey, uh, Paul's in Patoli with a group of his friends. And so now they came down all the way um, to uh, this, um, these other locations, which were Appy Forum and Three Inns. That was 40 miles away. 40 miles they came to meet with Paul. They'd, they didn't have cars back then. 
I just thought I'd let you know. Now, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And so they get to Rome. The prisoners are turned over, but Paul wasn't. And Paul had favor this whole time with Julius, the, the centurion. And now he's allowed to have his own place. The guard that was with him, they, they would change every four hours. It would be a new guard that was going to be with them. What a ministry to be able to witness and share with, you know, probably the guard got tired of hearing Paul tell stories to all the visitors that came in and Paul's telling, oh, man, this happened and oh, come on, Paul. Here, just calm your voice, Paul. I'll tell the story this time. You know, because they're so used to hearing this stuff. But how many of them were impacted by hearing these stories? We, we don't know for sure. How did these Roman believers, how did they even have this relationship with the Lord and then get excited that Paul was coming, that they'd go 40 miles to meet him and then 40 miles back up uh, to Rome? Well, Paul had written a letter to them about three years earlier. Anybody guess what it was? Romans. So, the book of Romans, yeah. And, and so we're going to go through that too. Now we'll, we'll you know, go back in time to when he wrote that, when we, uh, when we start that letter coming up. So it came to pass after three days that Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. And so when they had come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So he's telling them the story of why he's there, how he got there. You see, he's talking to the Jews that were in Rome. And so these are the leadership of the Jews that are in Rome, the leaders of the synagogues that are there. And so he's going there to start a dialogue with them because the leaders of the Jews in Jerusalem wanted to kill him. And so he's coming up to Rome to maybe dialogue with someone who's a little more open-minded and not wanting to kill him. And so he wants to, uh, you know, start this conversation with them. And so who, when they had examined me, wanted, uh, he's talking about the Romans, let me go because there was no cause for putting me to death. So the Romans didn't even want to kill him. They heard his side of the story. The Jews wanted to put him to death, and the Romans said, he didn't do anything wrong, and they wanted to let him go. But unfortunately, that's not what happened. But when the Jews spoke against it, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. And so Paul says, look, when I was accused, and see, he was in Caesarea at the time, and uh, Festus had taken over as governor for Felix. And Festus said, 
you know, okay, the Jews want you to go on trial back in Jerusalem. Do you want to go there? And are you willing to go in, on, on trial there in Jerusalem? And Paul said no, because remember previously, Paul knew there were 40 men that were, took an oath to kill him. So he knew that if he went back there, that it wasn't going to be good for him. And so he said, no, I appeal to Caesar. Well, how could he do that? Because he was a Roman citizen. Only Roman citizens can appeal to Caesar. And so that was the appeal he made. That was the appeal that kept him in prison. You see, because after um, he went before the king, King Agrippa, Agrippa heard a story with Festus and said if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he may have been let go. He may have been set free. But because of his appeal, now he has to go uh, before Caesar. And so Paul actually put himself there. But you know what? This is all God's plan. God told him he was going to go to Rome. He told him this is what's going to happen. So regardless, Paul was going to end up going to Rome. So the Jews spoke against him, and he was compelled to go to Caesar. But then he says, not that I had anything of which to accuse my nation. And that was a, that was a sweet word from Paul saying, I don't hold my nation, the Jews, responsible for what took place. You know, they are doing what they thought was right. You know why he said that? Because he was killing Christians before he became one. He was the one going out murdering Christians, arresting them, bringing them back to put them in prison. He was the one doing that because he was so zealous for his faith. And he knows that that's the way the Jews were that were there that wanted him dead. They were zealous to see God carry out his plan of getting rid of all the Christians. They just didn't know better. And so he didn't even want to accuse them. For this reason, therefore, I called for you to see you and speak with you because of the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. The hope of Israel. What was the hope of Israel? The Messiah. The Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah. And he found the Messiah. He believes in the Messiah. And so now, for that hope, for the Messiah, that's why he's in chains. Because they didn't like the fact that he actually believed Jesus was the Messiah because the Jews didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah. And that was the struggle that uh, they had, that they can't believe this is possible. So obviously he's a heretic. Then they said to him, we neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren who came reported or spoken any evil of you. So the Jews in Judea who wanted to put him to death didn't send anyone to cause trouble in Rome, to go tell Rome, hey, Paul is coming and 
we need to kill him. We need to put him to death. They, they didn't send anyone. And he didn't, they didn't even hear of any bad words against Paul. That's highly unusual. Paul didn't expect that at all. Then, they, uh, then he's, uh, it says in verse 22, But we desire to hear from you what you think, for concerning this sect, we know that it is spoken against everywhere. So Christianity was being spoken of everywhere in a negative context in the Jewish um, realm. So when they had appointed him a day, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Now, I'm not going to talk until evening, um, but if I wanted to, I could. I could share the same things that he talked about because we have the book of Moses and we have the prophets. And there are 300 prophecies that spoke of the Messiah and what was expected of the Messiah. And there were more than 300, but Jesus fulfilled them all. And so I could talk about that all day, probably all weekend I can talk about that. That's why we go verse by verse through the Bible. That's how come we study the way we do, so we can get the full context. And here, Paul was delivering the full context. I bet you that his message was very similar to the message Jesus gave the disciples on the road to Emmaus when he said, you know, starting from the book of Moses, he went through the Old Testament and he shared with them everything they needed to know about the Messiah. I bet you it was very similar. And Paul was, had very extensive knowledge. He knew the first five books of the Bible were perfect. Every Pharisee had to be able to repeat the first five books of the Bible perfectly. Wow. You know, I have a problem with the chapter, <laughs> right? I have a problem remembering Jesus wept, you know, the shortest verse in the Bible, you know. But, but here, he's able to repeat the whole thing. And uh, that, to me, is how he was so believable because he's able to speak to the Jews at their level, at what they knew. He was able to refer back to their own documentation and say, look, this is what the book of Moses said. This is what the prophets say, and this is what happened. And it's believable. It, it, they can, you know, they can surely trust what he's saying. And some were persuaded by the things which were spoken, and some disbelieved. And so when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. Now, first I want to say they departed. They didn't argue with Paul. They didn't fight Paul. They didn't want to put him to death. They were arguing with one another. Uh, they were disagreeing with one another. But then they ended the event when Paul said um, one thing the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet 
to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of the people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. And so he quoted from Isaiah so that they knew that this was scripture, and he quoted what Isaiah said was going to happen, how the people were going to be so hardened and so cold to the word of God. The fool has said in their hearts that there is no God. We have many fools living on the earth today. Many people, how can you say that there is no God? Because in doing so, you make yourself God. Because I know that there is no God. He, with the universe as big as it is, God could be hanging out anywhere, but I know. We don't even know what's on the moon. Nevertheless, what's in another galaxy or solar system or whatever the case may be, and someone says there is no God, well, that just demonstrates ignorance. And the word of God is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us, it is the power of God. Amen. And so when we read this, we know that God is hardening the hearts of those who choose to disbelieve. He didn't harden their heart first. They chose to disbelieve. And then he said, okay, you want to go off in that direction? You go right ahead. You believe what you want to believe. And that's why there are so many religions in the world today, because people would rather believe what they want to believe than to believe the word of God. Therefore, Paul speaking, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. Any Jews in here today? Okay, so you're all Gentiles, and you've all heard the word of God. And that's why you're here. You come here because you know that this is where the truth is. This is where the power is. This is where life is. It's in the word of God. And that's why we come together. You don't come together to hear me. I hope not. Because I'm from New York. Jesus is from heaven. Okay, you want to hear from him, not me. And the word that we're reading is the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts, all of us, and letting us know, hey, this is the truth. This is what we need to hear. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. That's what the word of God does. It causes people to argue, to dispute. They, they want to take one side or another, sheep or the goats, right? Every, everything's going to be divided. That's what our world is going through right now, isn't it? it, it it's the fact that people are deciding whether they want to be a sheep or a goat. They're deciding whether they want to believe the truth or the government, 
I'm not saying the government is all lies. I'm not saying the government is all lies. I'm just trying to convince myself. It, it is, it's the fact that they're human. They're, they are, we're, we didn't elect a theologian. We don't have people in office that are there for the purpose of administering Christianity. We, that's not what they're there for. And so we can't rely on them to solve spiritual problems. Spiritual problems can only be solved by God. Amen. And sometimes he uses us to do that. But the thing is, we have to be sensitive to the spirit. And so when we argue with the world, sometimes the world is so caught up in government that they miss the nuances of the spirit moving in people. Well, that's probably most of the time. They miss God's hand moving through his church, through the people. And then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And so here he is in Rome, in his own rented house. He had to rent his own house, still under guard, you know, the church was providing for him, meeting his needs, and he would preach to anyone who came by, preaching the word of God, telling them the truth. And he wasn't concerned. Two more years before he went to trial with Caesar. So he goes to trial with Caesar, and he's acquitted. He's set free. He gets off. The book end here. And so I, you know, we only know that through extra biblical writings. During those two years, he wrote four books. He wrote um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And probably Luke was writing the book of Acts at the same time. He took all his notes and he started writing uh, the book of Acts at that time. And that's what we're reading here. Paul eventually leaves Rome. He goes to Ephesus. And he is there with Timothy in Ephesus. And they plant the church there. It's growing. It's thriving. And he leaves Timothy in charge of the church in Ephesus. And then he goes over the Crete. And Titus is there on Crete. And then he helps Titus establish the church there over in Crete. And so then Paul eventually made his way back to Rome, where Nero is now um, the Caesar in charge at Rome, and has Paul imprisoned in a dungeon, and then has him beheaded. And so while it sounds like, wow, his life wasn't very successful there at the ending, it went according to God's plan. 
perfectly according to God's plan. It was time for Paul to come home. I don't think Paul was like, no, I want to stay here. Please don't kill me. He, he, he didn't. I, I, that was my accent. I added it. And he didn't do that. He was looking forward to going home. He said, you know, I'm, I'm tied up with this. I don't know. I'd rather go be with the Lord or be here. Well, it's better for you that I'm here. So I guess I'm going to be here a while longer. And, and that was his whole attitude. We can have that same attitude. We can have the same faith of Paul because we're living in like days. We're living in days where the world is going crazy, where there's wars and rumors of wars, famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places, and these things must happen. Jesus said so. And so we're living in these days where we can expect the Lord at any time because he said that we can. And we're supposed to be watchmen, watching for his return. And as we watch, we tell others, this is what's important to me. And I want to share this with you. This... We don't have to share about the rapture. We don't have to share about tribulation. We don't have to share about anything. We accept Jesus Christ. This is where life comes from. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. And so when we recognize who Jesus is and we share his love with others, that's what they're missing. They're missing the hope that they can have in the salvation of the Savior. They're missing that. And we can share that with them. It's good news to them. That's what gospel means, good news. We can share that with them. Paul demonstrated faith through every single thing he went through. Shipwreck after shipwreck and snakes biting him and people beating him and he demonstrated faith because he endured everything that he went through and right up to the very end and we can do that too we don't have it half as bad so we can do that in our own lives demonstrating the love that Jesus has for us and the love that he has for the people around us who sometimes aren't so wonderful, but we can share the love with them so that maybe they will see the truth for themselves. Amen?